Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and who's back there? Tony will get you one. I can't see because the light's streaming in, but there's two ladies talking. Maybe one of the ladies will get you one, too. And... uh, If you need one, just pop your hand up and they'll get you a Bible. You're going to want to follow along in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Remember, just to me, this is me. If you understand four chapters of the Bible, in my humble opinion, uh, they really unlock the Bible for you, or at least the New Testament. And I think this is one of the chapters. I think it's Romans 8, Philippians 2. Now, all the Bible is inspired and amazing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's, there's these keys, key chapters, and these, these are pivotal. And so Romans 8, Philippians 2, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, and 1 Corinthians 15, man, I just, they've just done a number in my life here. The Lord has through here, uh, through, through his word. And here it is, 1 Corinthians 15. Remember last time, this is all about the resurrection, the resurrection. You say, well, okay, you know, what is it? This isn't, uh, you know, Easter, Resurrection Day. Well, this is the heart of the gospel, folks. This is the heartbeat of the gospel. If you're sitting in here today and you're a critic or a skeptic or, uh, you know, uh, you know, you have doubts, those things, this is one of those chapters you're like, you come face to face with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where the rubber meets the road because in Corinth, they knew about a resurrection. In fact, if you'll turn with me to the fifth chapter of John, Jesus himself in John chapter 5, when he's speaking about, listen, life and judgment through him, through the Son, the Son of God. He says something that really gets your attention, I think. It's one of those ones you just sort of sit up in your seat. And it starts in verse 28. Do not marvel at this. Do not marvel at what? Look in 26. As the Father has life in himself, so he who has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he's the son of man. 28, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. And now he speaks of two resurrections. You want to be at one, you don't want to be at the other. And here's the two resurrections. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. There's two resurrections. The resurrection of life and the resurrection of death. Jesus himself says it. And so the Corinthian church was taught this through Paul as Paul was ministering to them for 18 months. Paul has since moved away. The Corinthian church has written a letter or a series of letters to Paul and asked for advice. And apparently one of the things that they were fuzzy on was the resurrection. So Paul gives them the resurrection chapter. Everybody with me? And this is the heartbeat of Christianity right here. And he says to begin last week, we're halfway through the chapter. He said last week, for those who doubt the resurrection. He says this, right in the first 
uh, right out of the gate here in the beginning. I preach this to you, which also you received, in which you stand, Corinthian church, by which also, watch this, you're saved. If you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless, of course, you believed in vain. Watch this. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's important. If you're a doubter, a skeptic, you have doubts, totally fine. We're so glad you're here. But the Scriptures, which were written several hundred years prior to Christ, testify both of his death and resurrection. Isaiah 53 Psalm 22, Hosea 6, Jonah, the most, you know, you all know the story of Jonah. It speaks of the resurrection of Christ. Well, how do I know that? Because Jesus himself says it. So he rose again, he was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Do you see how important it is to the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he tell us that it's according to the scriptures? This was prophesied about, and it came true. All those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, it comes true in Jesus Christ. And if that's not enough, listen, some of you may or may not know, I don't really want to tell you this, but I will. I'm a lawyer. And Paul here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives evidence. He goes, And the resurrection's true because Jesus was seen, watch, by Cephas, Peter, then by the apostles, the twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 people at once, of whom the greater part remain in the present, but some fall asleep. In other words, he challenges them. He says, if you don't believe in the resurrection, go talk to them. Go, Go see for yourself. And all they have to do is just deny it or talk to tell you about it if it was not true, but they didn't deny it. They saw him post-death. He was alive. And after that, he was seen by his half-brother James, by all the apostles, and then he was seen by me also. He was seen by him on the road to Damascus. And he says, the risen Christ is our hope. It's our hope. And if Christ is not risen, verse 17, our faith is futile. Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we of all all men are the most pitiful. In other words, if Jesus didn't rise again, this right here is complete vanity. It means nothing. But if he did rise again... Those songs we, we were singing are way more than just songs. It's a cry out to the living God saying, you're our only hope and we worship you. That's what we're saying, you see. And then he goes, and we, we started to get into it. We did get into it. And he talked about how the last enemy is destroyed. The last enemy is destroyed. And what is the last enemy? See, For the unbeliever, the last enemy is death. For the believer, death is not our enemy. 
Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. It's so true. This is the heartbeat of the gospel. Death comes to the ungodly man as a penal infliction, but to the righteous as a summons to his father's palace. Death is a summons to his father's palace. To the sinner, it is an execution. To the saint, simply an undressing. Death to the wicked is the king of terrors. Death to the saint is the end of terrors. Watch. And the commencement of glory. The worst thing that happens to the unbeliever, death, is just the beginning of all of life for us in glory with our heavenly Father. And death is defeated and the last enemy is destroyed. Watch this, verse 26. The last enemy that will uh, be destroyed is death. And you can see that in the book of Revelation, at the end of the book of Revelation, at the end of the millennial uh, uh, reign of Christ. It actually says death is put away with, thrown into the lake. And he says there are effects of denying the resurrection as we get to verse 29. And this is where we'll sort of start, although I got there or went through it last week. But there are effects of denying resurrection. If you deny the resurrection, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take on the mantra, the the philosophy, the creed of look in verse uh, 32. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If, if we don't believe in the resurrection, we're just going to party it up here. This life just means sort of nothing. Just, you know, he with the most toy win, toys win. You ever seen that theory? Uh, if, it's up, if it's to be, it's up to me. Uh, as long as I'm here, I'm just going to build my kingdom for me and my retirement and, that, and golf and go on vacations and all that sort of thing. And Paul says, well, don't be deceived there in verse 33. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and don't sin. You got it backwards. If the resurrection of Christ is true, we are going to be walking in a godly way with the Lord. That's the effects of denying the resurrection. And he says, some do not have this knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. We should know these things as Christians. All right, watch. But someone apparently wrote, and some people will say, well, how are the dead raised up? Come on, man. How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Okay, you're telling me you were raised up to a resurrection? Well, how? And with what kind of body do we have? And he says here, I don't think he's being a smart aleck like I tend to be outside of Christ. He says... Don't be foolish. In other words, don't be a fool. Don't don't not know this. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Here Paul goes through a series of comparisons and contrasts. Is that a way to say that? Contrasting ideas, there we go, to, to show us how we are raised up And what we're going to be in heaven in our glorified bodies. Watch. He says, unless 
or what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. You're saying, what? What are you talking about? Because we live in a body that comes sort of out of Adam, dust, dust to dust. Remember that? But in order to be made alive, a seed must be sown. Because for the Christian, there's a glorified body, not the carnal, earthly body. What, what am I talking about? Well, what you sow is not made alive. What you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps, wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. So what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Again, for those who are outside of Christ, who haven't surrendered their life to all that Christ has done, his death and resurrection, our bodies are just going to be sown and, and dust. But in order for our bodies to come back and to be alive, they must be planted first. So for the Christian, as Spurgeon has said, I mean, this is just the gateway to all of life in glory with the Father. But it must die first, because you know this. You know this from practical living. For you gardeners, we talked about it. That bulb thing, I know nothing about gardening, but I do know this. When you show me a bulb, it's ugly, man. You're like, gosh, is that ever going to be anything good? And you put that thing in there, and, you know, water and rain and all that sort of thing, and then life starts to come up out of the ground, And when it gets risen up there, if it's a daffodil or tulip or I don't even know flowers, but whatever it is, do they even have bulbs? Anyway, you you know what I'm talking about. When they come up, man, these things are glorious. You you marvel at it. It smells incredible, the perfume or whatever, the, the, the scent. You don't sow what the body shall be. God's going to give a body as he pleases. Do you catch it? And then he says this, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. He's not arguing for the resurrection of animals and birds and all that sort of thing and man. What he's saying is, do you know that there's this flesh that's a man and it looks different than a bird or whatever, or a jaguar, or whatever. They all look different, but there's one thing about them, they're all alive. And I think what the uh, Holy Spirit is trying to tell you and me is that our glorified body, when we uh, get to heaven and have a glorified body, look, we're all going to be alive, but we're all going to be separate and different. You're not going to be robotic in heaven. It's great that you like technology. I hate technology. Is that bad? We have different personalities. Some are gregarious. Some are introverts. Okay, wonderful. God can work with both. Nobody's bad for that. We're all going to have our personalities in heaven. I think that's what that's saying. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial one is, or celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. In other words, The human body and then the heavenly body are different. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. Isn't it so great? We're all going to be shining in glory but have different looks, personalities. 
And now here, you're really going to see it. The answer to the question, what body comes up? Well, we know this already from what Paul's told us by the Spirit. We're going to have a body. It's going to be a heavenly, celestial, not a earthly body. You getting it? One that can live with the Lord. It's going to be you, but different, like the bulb. It's going to be you, but different. There's going to be a continuity of you, but it's going to be different, and it's going to be equipped to be with the Lord for all of eternity. Don't you get tired? You know what happens to me every morning. My Achilles ache, man. It takes me about 10 minutes to get ready to start walking. They're just sore. Some of us have back trouble. Some of us have something else, right? In glory, you're going to have none of that. And yet, you're going to be equipped to live forever. No sickness, no death. And yet, you're going to have your personality and be different. Get it? Isn't that beautiful? You're not going to know less in heaven than you did on earth. You're going to be glorified. Watch this. It says, there is one glory. You saw that, the sun, etc. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. You have this body. Now, okay, you, you could be in one of two camps. You could be a Christian, a surrendered Christian. You've surrendered your whole life to all that Jesus has done for us. You still live in this earthly tent. And you have to get rid of this thing in order to go and to be with the Lord. So that's a different perspective on death, isn't it? It's just a passing away of this tent to receive our glorified, resurrected body. That's fascinating. It's the resurrection. The body is sown in corruption. If you're an unbeliever, see, your body is sown in corruption too, but it's raised in incorruption Our bodies raised at the resurrection for those who've surrendered their lives to Christ, raised at the resurrection of eternal life. The unbeliever's body raised, there will be a body that the unbeliever lives in, but that's raised unto death to be separated from God for all of eternity. You can read that in John 5. And in Revelation, it speaks of this judgment. It's called the white throne judgment. You don't want to be at that judgment. God's going to be perfectly fair at that judgment. He's going to say, did you count on the finished work of Jesus Christ for your righteousness? Or are you counting on your righteousness at the great white throne judgment? He's not going to be smart alecky about it. He's going to say, if you're righteous, you can come and be with me for eternity. But the point is, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And our standard is, we have to be measure up to the glory of God. And the way that the Christian does it is because of the resurrection. You're like, what? Yeah, because in Romans 4, the last sentence, the last verse of Romans 4 says this, We are justified by the resurrection so that, watch, the believer comes into a relationship with uh, the Lord. Eternal life starts then. You now come to heaven, not based on your own righteousness, but because of the righteousness 
of Christ that's been put into your spiritual bank account, you've been, you've been declared not guilty. That's justified by the resurrection. Watch. And now you get his imputed righteousness. So that the Christian has nothing to brag about except for the Lord. You catching that? So watch. Verse 43. The body's sown in dishonor, but for those who are in Christ, it's raised in glory. You're going to be able to purely serve and follow the Lord in heaven. By the way, where do we get glorified, resurrected body? That verse right there. There's where it is. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. Oh my, all the limits for you are gone. Your limitations are gone. It's your, your, your glorified, resurrected body has, is power. It's powered by the Lord. It's sown in a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Do you see the contrast? The first Adam is Adam and Eve. The last Adam or the second Adam is Jesus Christ. And he, you see these two contrasts. For those who have not surrendered their lives to Christ, they're still in Adam. They have a sin nature. We've all been there. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. What's the answer? The second Adam, he is a life-giving spirit. Oh, man, that's so cool. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual, the first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, watch this, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Go to 1 John 3.2, and you can read about that. Oh, my goodness. Something, when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness and sin to the kingdom of the son of his love, and the stamp of the image of Adam has been removed, and we're stamped with the image of Jesus. He actually lives in our life by the Spirit of Christ. We bear the image of the heavenly. Now watch this in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, that's pretty simple, right? Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. You know a really famous guy. He couldn't get over it. Nicodemus, John chapter 3. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I got to be born again? And I'm not being inappropriate here, but he says, what do, what do I need to do? Do I need to go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus, no, you need to be born of the Spirit. Because you need to be not just flesh and blood, but born again in the kingdom of God, to come into the kingdom of God so that the Holy Spirit, as he lives in our life, the Bible says, it's our down payment. He's our down payment guaranteeing us entrance into eternal life. God pours out the Holy Spirit into your life. Now watch this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Here it comes. I believe this is telling you when you're going to get your glorified, resurrected body. Aren't you happy? 
Man, I'm happy to know this. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that was set forth 800 to 1,000 years earlier in the book of Isaiah, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting O Hades, where is the victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers or brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Now let's unpack this a little bit. Behold, I'll tell you a mystery. This, this, isn't, this is something that was previously unknown that now Paul wants to reveal to us in his writings. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. What, what in the world is he talking about? Well, I think what he's talking about, and I'm, uh, I'm asking you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, And it's in verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then watch this, watch. Comfort one another with these words. That's a comforting thing. So what is happening here? Well, if you've been marching with us for any length of time, what we think is happening here is at the rapture of the church. We currently live in the church age. This is called the last days. All the church age in Acts chapter 2 has been called the last days. And the Bible says, I just read it to you, that at some point Jesus is going to come back and meet his church in the air. We believe that's at the rapture of the church that doesn't have any, uh, there's no impediment to that happening at any time. Jesus calls up his church, and but now as I turn us back to 1 Corinthians 15, watch what happens. Some of us won't be dead, verse 51, but we all shall be changed. Who's going to be changed first? The dead in Christ are going to be raised to raised and be changed in the twinkling of an eye and receive their glorified, resurrected body. Then what will happen? Those who remain, us who are alive, then we will do it and we'll receive our glorified, resurrected body. You say, well, wait a minute. At the last trumpet, well, there's a trumpet blow by God himself in the book of Revelation. I'm just going to, this is sort of, I just want you to know this. 
I think it's right around chapter 8, chapter 9, where God blows a trumpet, and then all of the different woes are poured out in the book of Revelation. And that's in the middle of the uh, tribulation period. This trumpet seems to be different. It's not being blown by God, but I I read to you, it's being blown by an angel, and there's no woe being poured out. (laughs) It's a hallelujah. (laughs) We're with the Lord. The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised. Watch, incorruptible, and we shall be changed, verse 52. For the corruptible, this is what you need to know. Grab onto this. Just like what Spurgeon said, the corruptible must put on incorruption, and this immortal must put on immortality. You must have the right tent to live with the Lord forever. See, that's the view of death for the Christian. Of course we're sad when people pass away. We're going to miss them. No one's saying click up your heels or anything, but listen, for those, for those who are dead in Christ, it's not the end. Remember, he said to the thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me, Jesus said, in paradise. Today. Today. So what happens to a body that gets put in the ground? If I go get hit by a bus today, what would happen to me? Well, Counting on the finished work of Jesus Christ, my body would be put in the ground, but my spirit would be with the Lord. And then when the, the trumpet blows and Jesus comes to bring us up to the clouds, caught us, catch us up in the clouds, my bulb turns into a daffodil. <laughs> That's what the Scripture is telling you. And the Bible's telling us that it's you, but you're different. And that you're going to keep your personality and you're not going to know less. And you're going to be raised in glory and power and in corruption. See, that's powerful. This is the hope of all hopes. Because death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. Do you know that? Sin kills, and the strength of the sin is the law. But in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, it says that the letter kills, the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. See, this thought here gives us unbelievably different view of what we do with our life. You get this? This is it. This is what we, 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 if we know this and believe this and take this into our life, it just transforms your life. You're not working for your kingdom anymore. You're working for his kingdom and you are working not to gain acceptance into heaven, but because you're responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ as shown to us through the resurrection. You'll be one who's just steadfast. You just keep at it. You keep at it until the Lord comes. You just keep at it. Of course, you have downs and ups circumstantially, but that doesn't deter you from the mission of just keeping at it. I'm so excited that we sang today 
You all, I looked around, there were a couple chuckles. Go tell it on the mountain. Because don't you think of it as a Sunday school song? You're like, why are we singing that? And yet, steadfast, just to tell people this doctrine that there is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, the question becomes, will you be at the resurrection of life or the resurrection of death? And we don't want anyone in here or any of our friends, not that we're going to come and just push it on you, but we're going to tell you the truth and just love and care and be there if you ever have any questions and just share with you and love you. And we're just going to be steadfast in that, and we're going to be immovable. It's not that we won't be flexible and loving. We're going to love people. Listen, if you're over here and you, you have left-leaning politics, we're going to, we're going to love you. If you're over here and you got right-leaning politics, we're, we're going to love you and everybody in between. We're just going to be immovable in that. You're going to make fun of me because I'm over here having lunch with this left-leaning politician? Go ahead and make fun. I don't care. I want to love him and share the gospel of Jesus Christ through my life and my words. You want to make fun? Make fun. I don't care. That's immovable. You're just going to keep at it, the Lord's work, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And you go, wait a minute, it's 1143 and he's done. No, I'm not. (laughs) See, because there's this grand and glorious doctrine. I mean, just sitting here preaching it, I thank the Lord because it's just brought my heart soaring up here today, and I hope yours too. But see, you say, well, that's in the future. Now, let me tell you something. The resurrection is for today. You say, what? What do you mean? Well, I already sort of let the cat out of the bag when I said to you in Romans 4, 24, or excuse me, 25, that the resurrection, if there's no resurrection, there's no justification. You've never been declared not guilty, and you need to be declared not guilty in order to commune with the holy God for eternity. You understand that? Not only do you need to be declared not guilty, but then the Lord puts into your spiritual bank account righteousness, that's 2 Corinthians 5.21, so that now you are there with the Lord. You can be with the Holy One. See, that's called justification. And look, look with me, just so I can show it to you, in 1 Peter 1. Just go there, 1 Peter 1. And what we're, what we're examining is, is the resurrection for my life today, is it just something about my new glorified resurrected body, which is like the home run? It's, that's the bottom of the ninth, Pirates versus Yankees, Mazeroski hits a home run. To, I mean, that's the home run of the, of the Bible. We're going to have a glorified, resurrected body. But that's not all that the resurrection is and does for us. And I want to show it to you. The first thing is, it's the starting point with the Lord. The resurrection is your starting point, my starting point with the Lord. Look at 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, he held back from you what you did deserve, that's what mercy means, has begotten us again, by the way, born again, that's what that means, 
has begotten us again, not to hope, to a living hope. That's what's important, which means our hope isn't, oh, I hope it happens. I hope I get a glorified, resurrected body. I hope I'm saved. We don't do that. No, this is a settled expectation. That's what hope of the Bible means. I got so excited, I jumped out of 1 Peter there. It's a settled expectation, and it's based on the one who lives, because through It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Your living hope, the only hope you have or I have, is because Jesus died but didn't just die. He rose again. The only hope we really have when we're standing over the casket or when the doctor comes in and tells you you got cancer and it's incurable, the only hope we have is Jesus And it's a living hope. It's a settled expectation. You're going to live your life in it. It's this thing where we just have to put down this tent and get our new tent and go to be with the Lord. Look at this. He's begotten you to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here's what I want you to know. There's this thing called justification. It's a fancy word, again, for saying you're not guilty. And we just saw in 1 Peter 1.3 and Romans 4.25, based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for those who surrender their whole life to it and count on his finished work at the cross and resurrection, for those people, for us, for you, for those who do that, at that moment, a gavel comes down in heaven, sort of. It's a spiritually legal transaction, and God says you're not guilty. That's amazing. Oh, but that's not it. You thought I was done again. But there's more. You're like, please, be done. No. There's more. It's even, it gets even more incredible. You know why? Because there's this thing in the Bible called sanctification. Raise your hand if you know what sanctification is. Sanctification, and by the way, it's the will of God. Watch this. In the area, he's discussing it in the area of sexual impurity. First First Thessalonians 4. In the area of sexual impurity, that's the area in which he's talking. He says it's the will of God for you and I to be sanctified. So we got to know what it means. To be sanctified means to be set apart. You and I, when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, are set apart for the Lord's work. When you're set apart for the Lord's work, guess what? The Lord's the captain. You show up and you go, okay, captain, I'm here today. You don't care because it's so, he's so loving and he's accomplished everything for you. It's not like in the military where you, you knew you were... Uh, 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 you know, kind of bitter at your captain or whatever. No, you're not that. You're like, Lord, everything you've done to me, what shall I do today? He's the captain of our salvation, and he's set us apart for his work. And he says, I'm going to sanctify you by my word. Jesus says this. You know this? So what the Lord does is he takes the child of God who has the spirit of God in him and feeds him or her the word of God. And he begins, watch this, not only are you sanctified, set apart 
when you surrender your life to Christ, but now, watch, the Bible tells us as you move on in Christ or mature, you're being sanctified. Are you tracking with me? So that positionally, I told you, 2 Corinthians 5.21, you have the righteousness of God in Christ, you have uh, his righteousness in here positionally, theologically, you have that, but practically you've been set apart and the Lord is bringing you on from glory to glory until you get your glorified body. He's making you, Romans 8, 28 and 29, more like Christ. That's sanctification. And when you get to heaven, you're going to be ultimately glorified and sanctified. You get it? Okay, now why am I going crazy about that? Because we often say as Christian little things, I don't want to walk in the flesh, I want to walk in the power of God. But we don't know how to do it or where the resource comes from. Don't you love that story of Lazarus? You're sort of puzzled in John 11, why would Jesus kind of hesitate a couple days before he came back to help his friends? Lazarus is dead and he smells bad. Remember, he's been in there several days, four days or so, and he smells, it smells. He's been, right? And Jesus says to his two friends, Mary and Martha, don't, don't worry, he's just asleep. And they're like, what? Yeah, we know he's dead. Why didn't you come? And he just says, Lazarus, come forth. And he brings Lazarus out, right? Do you remember that? He just speaks a word. And watch, death turns into life. He brings us out from death to life. And they are so happy and overjoyed at this. And see, that's what's happened to us. We've gone from death to life, justification. Get it? And now... As he's brought us out, death to life, we're becoming more and more Christ-like. That's a maturing process. So we have two planes, positional and practical. Practically, I don't know about you, but I sinned this week. You guys are like, what? (laughs) But I bet you did too. Not an excuse. I don't want to walk in sin. I want to pursue holiness, but I did, and I needed to ask for forgiveness, and I had to confess my sins, or I did confess my sins, and God, who is faithful and just, forgave my sins and cleansed me from all unrighteousness because I live here in this mortal body, and I'm being sanctified. Now watch. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. You still are going to get out early, so don't worry about that. But I want you to see something. Paul, in his great prayer for spiritual wisdom, Ephesians 1, watches this. Paul prays in verse 18. I pray, Paul says, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. His calling. His is capitalized. Him. What's his calling? What's the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceed? Here it comes. Watch. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? 
according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised them from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Are you catching this? Watch this. What's, you, know, you, know, you know when the pastor stands up here and says, okay, sister, okay, brother. You know when you get in that situation that this week and the guy in the cubicle is just driving you nuts. He's chomping on something and you just want to, boom. Could you please stop? And you want to witness to him, but you just feel like your whole witness is eroding. And the pastor says, now, dear, now, brother, you need to draw on the resources of the Lord. Okay. Can you give me a little bit more? Well, Paul just did. Here in this prayer, do you notice this? He's praying for three things, that your understanding be enlightened, that there would be this hope of calling with the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint. And then he says this, and I want this prayer for you. As you're moving down the path of Christ-likeness, I want you, Paul says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to know, I, what, I want you to know what's the exceeding, exceeding greatness of his power towards all of us, you and I, all of us. Look, what resource do you draw on? What resource is it that you draw on? This is the resource toward us who believe, what? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. In other words, he wants you to draw on his resurrection power day by day by day by day. You go, my goodness, I can't take the guy over here. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And you know, if you walk in, we say this a lot, in your own resource and strength, you'll never do it. But God, who could call Lazarus out of the tomb, can supply to you his resurrection power to be loving and grateful and thankful and patient and kind to the kid who irritates you. Or the person, sorry. <laughs> Are you catching this? How do, how do I know it's sanctification resource? Well, just look down. It's different than what he says in chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved by faith and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly. There's justification. Go back up in chapter 2. There's sanctification. You, don't you, you guys like Jeremy Camp? Do you know who Jeremy Camp is? <laughs> the same power that Raise Jesus from the dead, right? There's the verse. 118. You see, this changes everything. You don't have to depend upon your power, your mustering up kindness, your mustering up patience, your mustering up forgiveness. You can rely upon resurrection power. See, the Bible says that we're insufficient of ourselves. Do you know that? We're insufficient of ourselves. That's in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, 5, and 6. Do you know that you're insufficient of yourself to live the Christian life? But our sufficiency is Christ. That's what that verse tells us. And here I'm showing you in Ephesians, how are you to live? You're to draw upon resurrection power. Oh, wait a minute. Is he through? 
Not quite yet. I want to show you one more thing in Philippians 3. Same writer, Paul himself, says this. In verse 8, the great statement by Paul Let's go to seven. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Verse eight. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want you to catch that. This man who was rich, powerful, image, had everything, had inside, had uh, you know, power and control. When he met the Lord, he said the number one thing, the most excellent thing in life is just to know Christ and to be known by him. That's where we're most fulfilled, just knowing Christ and being known by him. Watch this. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness... Uh, uh, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God uh, by faith. And now here's what I want us to really focus on, and then we'll go home. That I may know him. He says it again. The number one thing is he wants to know him and the power of his, watch, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, you, I want to just tell you what this means or what I think it means, and then I want to send us home in the power of the resurrection. How do we get to know Jesus? Well, Paul sort of spells it out here. Of course, we get to know him through, by, uh, through the revelation of the Word of God. We don't see him now because he died and rose again. We don't see him physically, but he's re- revealed in his Word. Jesus said, I'll sanctify you by, your tru- by my truth, right? The truth of the Word. But Paul says, I want nothing else but to know him. And then he says, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to death. So there's four things. I want to know him. And I believe what he's saying is there's three arenas, there's three places, there's three ways as the word of God plays out in your life, there's three ways that you're going to know Christ more and more. And watch, the first way is you're going to rely on the strength and resource Of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection, the same power. How powerful was it when Jesus called out Lazarus from the tomb? How powerful is that? Whatever was dead became life, and Jesus called it out, called him out, and that power right there, that power, that resurrection power is the power in which you and I, we are to walk day by day, by minute by minute. How powerful is the Lord to do that with us weak vessels, Our, this, these cracked pots. And you, don't you, when, when this happens, when the Lord, you know, Galatians 2.20, it's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. When, 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 when the Lord is working in and through you, is there anything better? You know it's the Lord. You know it's sweet and it's powerful, but it's not you. It's from the Lord, and it works through you, and you get through with that experience, and you just grow 
You go, why have I been walking in my own strength when the Lord is just willing to live his life? Somebody about three weeks ago in here said they never really shared the gospel with anybody, but they got to share. I don't remember if it was at work uh, or um, uh, at at home. I, I don't know, with a friend. I can't remember, but I remember what they said. She said this. She said, what else would I rather do with my life? It was the greatest thing. See, what I think was happening was resurrection power was just flowing through this girl's life. This one who was worried about doing it just made herself available to the Lord, and the Lord worked it through her. And what happened was she was moved on, watch, from glory to glory. How do you know the Lord? (laughs) Through his resurrection power in your life. Watch this. There's another way in which you're known. This isn't talking about resurrection power, a way you know him. You know him through sufferings. For the Christian, suffering's not a bad word, folks. When we talked about that in Job for a long time, how else do you know him? Being conformed to his death. You ever felt like death? <laughs> I mean... The circumstances, whew, whew, the waves just keep coming. That relationship, that financial thing, and it just weighs on you, and you might even have thought bad things about yourself. You see, through Jesus, he just says, come forth, and he can lift it and bring you through it. He doesn't, he doesn't just take away the circumstance, but he just gets right there. He's just right there in the the waves, and he keeps your head afloat, or the fire. He's right there with you and keeps you from, it is fiery, it is wavy, (laughs) but he's right there with you, holding you, and he brings you through, and when you get out the other side, almost everybody who ever goes through it says this, yeah, I didn't like it when I was there, but man, do I know him more and more. So what am I saying? The resurrection is everything, folks. The resurrection is what's going to happen to us in our future. We're going to get a resurrected body. We studied through all that. What are we to do day by day by day? We have available to us the resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, available to us to live and to grow and to walk according to the Spirit and then Look, he's available not only just to bring our human or bodies to life, but all of our situations that we're in. He's powerful enough as we think it's a dead end or we're buried in something to walk through it with us. That's resurrection power. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do. We thank you so much. And... uh, What a grand and glorious chapter, Lord. We're so thankful that you've given it to us so we can study and grow and have hope. Oh, man, do we need hope. And so, Lord, as we travel this life here, Lord, help us as we need your power day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.